Welcome to Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale and hosted by Michael Davis. Vince and Joe Vitale are currently leading the Zacharias Institute. Both hold doctorates from the University of Oxford, Vince in philosophy, and Joe in women in the Old Testament. In a world that increasingly sees the Christian faith is irrational and irrelevant, it is more important than ever for believers to be prepared to give a defense for the faith. Ask Away is brought to you by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. It's time to Ask Away. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask Away with Vincent Joe Vitale. I am your host, Michael Davis. Many of the attacks made against the Christian faith since the very beginning, even starting with the early church, have bucked the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. This exclusivity of the gospel is no longer seen as simply silly by secularists. They see it as hateful because it does not respect or affirm other religions or their truth claims. Why is it that Christianity can't allow for multiple ways to God? Why can't Muhammad save instead of Jesus? But before we get started, Vince, can you tell our listeners a little bit about John Lennox's new book, Can Science Explain Everything, available for purchase at your favorite book retailer? Absolutely. I'm really excited uh, about this book, and there are very few people in the world that you can find who know as much about science and as much about the Bible and who are as good about at communicating it um, as uh, John Lennox. Uh, we've been so blessed by him, you know, personally in terms of his friendship and his mentorship, uh, and anything that he writes, we absolutely want to dig into. So I highly recommend this book, and it's so important culturally. You do meet so many people that think that there is this incompatibility, and there is a dichotomy, and you have to choose between either faith or science, and you need someone who really understands both faith and science to be able to say, no, you can believe in scientific explanations in a robust way and yet hold on to a very strong uh, and personal faith. Uh, I was just reminded of my colleague, uh, Nathan Rittenhouse, uh, who said that somebody said to him in response to that sort of position, so you want to have your cake and eat it too. And he said, no, I want to have my cake and I want to know the baker. <laughs> uh, I love that. Oh, that's so Nathan Rittenhouse. It's so right Nathan Rittenhouse, and I love that line. But I think you'll find in John's book uh, one of the best presentations that you'll ever find of how you can be uh, genuinely for a scientific approach and the beauty of the world that you can discover through the sciences that God has made available to us and still have a very personal faith that holds on to the reality and the possibility of miracles and a personal relationship. Relationship with God. Okay, let's get to our questions. The first one is from Jimmy. How do I respond to someone who says that on the whole, where you live and your social background will be the determining factor for what you believe? A sort of cultural determinism. For example, if someone was born in and lives in Saudi Arabia, there's a good chance he will be a Muslim. Jimmy, I really think this is a valid question. I think it's one that people have all the time as well. Um, there's, there's, there's a certain truth to it that we all grow up in a particular cultural matrix where inevitably um, our ideas are formed by the society around us that shapes us, the families that we grow up in. And, and so we all have a certain lens through which we see the world. And, uh, and often what this leads to is this idea that therefore we can never see things objectively. We'll always sort of see it through a tinted lens of the particular glasses that we're wearing. And so then people often ask the question, how can we ever 
ever get to objective truth if, if we only ever see things subjectively. Now, one thing I want to note here is often this challenge is just leveled against religious people. But actually, if this is true, it's true of everybody. It's true of atheists as well. If you grew up in a secular context like the UK, for example, today, then the idea of God might seem nonsensical to you. That's why um, you know most people in England don't believe that Jesus existed. And that's so ironic for a nation with Christian roots. But, but it has nothing to do with whether anyone looked into the evidence or not, which is actually incredibly strong. But it's just this general cultural feeling that people are, are living in. Yeah, and I actually think it's a better objection against atheism than against God, because if atheism were true, then, yes, you would generally only believe in atheism if you were born in certain places where that's a live option for your belief, where that's considered a reasonable uh, belief. Now, theism, if an omnipotent God exists, as we believe, then God can break in anywhere, yeah. and he can break in everywhere at any time. But actually, this is more true on atheism, that you would only wind up being an atheist if you were in a certain part of the world at a certain very narrow slice in history. Yeah, it's it's a challenge I had leveled at me all the time growing up in England. People say, well, Joe, you're, you're, your dad's a pastor. <laughs> of course, yes. you're going to be a Christian. That's yeah. just what you believe. The irony being not everyone in my family are Christians, despite the home that and the family that we grew up in. In fact, I once had a conversation with a family member who was just being really honest and doing some deep soul searching. And they said, I believe in God, but how can I know if that belief is actually true or if I was brainwashed as a child? And, and I think what that speaks to is how crippling this idea of um, cultural determinism can be, because oftentimes what happens is we feel so hopelessly caught up in our own background that um, that it leads to this sort of confusing mind game where you think, how do I trust my own instincts? And and sometimes what happens is the opposite. Rather than staying in the belief you grew up in, we can also become so suspicious of our beliefs that we reject them out of hand because we're just scared of cultural brainwashing. I actually meet that a lot with Christians growing up in the South here um, in Georgia where they've been a part of Christian families. And sometimes that leads to this knee-jerk reaction that it must not be true just because they grew up in it. But that's not going to help you either, actually, because that is a reaction based out of fear rather than a reaction based on finding new evidence or new truth. Yeah, I think sometimes this objection uh, seems more persuasive until you start getting to know people deeply and start getting to know their spiritual stories quite mm -hmm. deeply. You know, both Michael and I are examples of people who didn't believe just because of the families that we grew up in. I mean, especially you, Michael. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was born in Israel to an atheist uh, mother and father. So yes, absolutely. You know, and then, I mean, when you think about even right now, what are the fastest growing countries in terms of Christian population? China, yeah, Iran. Um, probably <laughs> Iran might could be number two. Yeah. Like nobody would have said that based on just where people were growing up. Uh, and Michael made a great point earlier. We were discussing before the show as well that Christianity never would have left Israel if <laughs> that right. were the case, right? Yeah. The, the whole fact that there is a Christian faith which is global is precisely because it spread into cultures where it shouldn't have just right. based on the prior cultural uh, beliefs. So I think it really does show that God can break in anywhere. Right. So the point here being um, – you shouldn't uh, just believe something because you're brought up in it, but nor should you just reject something because you're brought up in it either. Instead, I think the starting point for every one of us has to be, are we honest enough about our own cultural presuppositions and biases to be willing to ask the question, what are my beliefs? And then why do I believe what I believe? Do I have good evidence for it? And if not, 
Is there good evidence? And if not, is there another way of seeing the world that's more plausible and has a better explanation of the facts? So, you know, people often assume, well, Joe, you just believe what you believe because you're a pastor's kid. Um, rather than thinking, well, you know, perhaps some sincere searching went on at some point in life. Right. And and I stayed within my faith, not, not because I didn't ask questions, but actually because ultimately I did. And it was a very sincere search, but I still came to the place of thinking, wow, God, thank you so much that I actually believe I, I happen to be somebody who grew up knowing the truth. And and that's just a logical outworking that, you know, if, if there's such a thing as right and wrong and true and false, then in this world, a lot of us are going to grow up with wrong belief. But some people are going to grow up, um, you know, in, in the space where they actually happen to be you know, blessed enough to to believe the right thing. It doesn't mean that my faith hasn't evolved and changed and matured that I haven't been challenged. Um, but but actually that the God I believed along has shown himself to be faithful and true. Right. And if you grew up in a place where the belief that was the natural belief of your family or your culture, you investigated it and it wound up being true, then that's not a reason to devalue that belief. That's a reason to highly value that belief, receive it as a great gift, and want to share it with other people. Right. right? It's also the case that certain vaccinations that we get regularly in this country, you don't get everywhere in the world. That's partly just a product of the culture and the place that we grew up in. That doesn't mean we don't value them. It should mean that we value that even more and that we as a culture should be committed to finding ways to make sure other people can get those vaccinations in other places around the world as well. Right. I also just think more and more um, this criticism melts because of how pluralistic the world is becoming. Right. I mean, we're so global as a society right now that it's very hard to stay in a bubble where you're not getting information from outside. Now, um, you know, we, we had a really interesting conference a couple of weekends ago on um, understanding and answering Islam. And you know, one of the things we're talking about was freedom. And sometimes people grow up in places where they don't have the freedom to choose what to believe, where actually culturally it's very hard to even be allowed to ask questions. But but what I found so interesting, speaking to one of my friends who grew up in Turkey as a Muslim and, and actually her journey towards atheism, it wasn't so much that she met people from outside who challenged her beliefs. It wasn't about the people she ran into because she wasn't a very closed system. But sometimes you don't need to meet other people to change your mind, but actually even your experience of the world and the kind of questions you ask just as a human being um, lead you to look at look at what, whatever beliefs you grow up with and then look at the world you're encountering and to see where there are where there's incoherence and where actually things are inconsistent. So actually she became a, a secret atheist for a long time before she then later became a Christian. But but often, the, you know, people are deeply searching. And I think we underestimate people and the deep questions that they're asking. Um, but I also think we underestimate God and, and how committed he is to reaching people and revealing himself to them wherever they are in the world. I, I was actually going to ask that uh, that point. It's like we, we, we talk a lot about how God... Uh, pursues us. Isn't it possible that God pursues us with our families? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think, you know, I want to affirm this objection, but I, I've said this before. I think it's God's objection, right? right? It's it's the reason that he's not happy with the current state of affairs. It's why he says things like the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Yeah. Right? Why does it say that? Because God's not willing for there to be an end until this message has been preached to all of the nations and the entire world. He objects to the fact that there are cultures and places where it's unlikely for people to get to know him. And that's why his final and great commission was to send people out 
send us out as Christians to try to rectify uh, that problem. And, you know, I think, you know, you guys are absolutely right as well that sometimes we underestimate God. And I always think about the criminal on the cross next to Jesus who came to faith in those last moments and everything that he had experienced beforehand had brought him to a point where he was ready to recognize Jesus for who he was and ready to respond to him. Uh, but no one would have known that. Uh, and everyone would have said oh, he brought, he was in a family and a cultural context in which, you know, he didn't he, he wouldn't likely have come to believe. Um, and yet he did. And people wouldn't have known that. But God still had a way of breaking in even in those last moments of life. Mm-hmm. So I think the point here is we just we need to have intellectual humility. You know, we need to be people who are willing to to check our blind spots, to to allow others to bring challenge to us and um, and accept those challenges and sincerely wrestle intellectually. But I also want to say, if you've grown up a Christian and people say this to you and it feels devastating when they bring this challenge, don't let people bully you into thinking that your faith isn't real just because you happen to grow up in it. We don't need to be swayed by every argument that comes against us. Is it a good argument or not? And if it's yeah. not good, you can let it go. And sometimes, um, I know for a long time, I would always find myself in the position of assuming that if someone says something loudly or angrily or with a lot of confidence, then, then they must know more than me. Yeah. You know, and I would sort of let I would back down and find myself in all these corners where, where actually, if I just dug a little deeper and asked them what the evidence was for the statement they were making or why they said it or why they thought it, often people say things very loudly, but they haven't done any of the homework to back it up. It's just kind of this empty assertion. So don't let people sway you because <laughs> um, this isn't about the intellectual arrogance of saying I'm right and I'm going to dig in and nothing you can do can change my mind. But it's more about saying... I've encountered something very real in the person of Jesus Christ. And this relationship is foundational in my life. And, and I know who God is. And I can be very, very confident in that, even as I, as I work out my faith with fear and trembling. Just a final thought on this question, a, a bit more speculative, but I think an interesting you know, point to raise. That person who was born in Saudi Arabia and grew up as a Muslim, uh, it's easy sometimes to think, well, God should have created that person in Georgia in a Christian home. Mm -hmm. And then he, that individual, would have been a Christian. Mm. I don't want to get into all of it now, but it's a really tricky philosophical question to say, would that have been the same person, the person who actually was born in Saudi Arabia into a certain family, into a Muslim cultural context, that you could change all of that and have the same exact person be born in Georgia into a Christian culture? Not clearly. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's interesting as well. Sometimes we just don't think this through. We say things like, you know, oh, I should have been born there or he should have been born there. We don't think through some of the complexities that God actually thinks through before he makes some of the decisions about how he creates. And maybe God loves everyone, not just the people who are born into a Christian cultural context where they're really likely to believe. Maybe he loves the person who's born into an Islamic cultural context where they're unlikely to come to believe in him just as much and therefore does want that person to come to exist and does want to reach out to them. And if they long to know the truth, provide a way uh, for that person to come to know him as well. So we also have to be really uh, slow to think and cautious about thinking that we know how to create and govern the universe better yeah, than God does. Point, right? exactly. He's just, my point is just he's taking into account a lot more than we can see when he makes these decisions. Absolutely. Okay, let's get to question number two. This one is from Andrew. 
I'm asking this question as a believer responding to a possible objection. If Judaism and Buddhism predates Christianity, does that make either one of them right and Christianity wrong? So it's interesting. At first glance, you might think, huh, this is a, a bit of an odd objection. You know, um, I think of the, uh, of the person who thinks they're right just because they're old. You know, most of us probably have someone in our life, uh, you know, who's like that, crazy you know, uncle. Just, yep. crazy <laughs> uncle, you know, just because you're younger, you are clearly wrong on everything and they're clearly right on everything. Um, that's a bit of an odd way to think, you know, Newtonian physics predate quantum physics. That doesn't make them more true. In fact, the opposite. Right. Right. So uh, it's interesting on the surface level. But I think there might be something I think there is potentially something quite reasonable in this objection, but we have to ask the question, what's behind it? What would we ask someone to find out what's motivating this objection? That's an important question. Don't just assume what the concern is and start answering the question. We would recommend ask questions until you are confident of what the actual concern is. When someone raises an objection like this uh, to me, I hold off answering it as long as I can, not because I'm afraid to answer it, but because I want to ask good questions to figure out what is the actual motivating concern behind the question. So I might ask, why do you think that an older worldview is more likely to be true? And somebody might say, well, were there people prior to Christianity that God didn't care enough about to give them the truth? Oh, okay. All right. Now we're getting to something. Now that's a pretty reasonable concern to have. Now we know what the real question is, the question behind the question. Then you might say to someone, that's a really interesting thought. When did you first have that thought? And somebody might say, well, actually, this family member of mine who I was close to just passed away. And they were someone that never really was exposed to Christianity in a significant way. And it got me thinking, did God not care as much about that family member as he did about me? And then that got me thinking, well, maybe there's lots of people. In fact, there are all these people who existed before Christianity that it seems like God didn't care enough about to reveal himself the way he's revealed himself to some others. Oh, all right. Okay. Now we're ready to actually start responding to the question because we know what's behind it. It's not just a simplistic question that's assuming that because something's older, it's better, but it's actually a question about God's fairness, about God's care, about God's love for people. So it actually is getting at quite central facets of Christianity. We want to take that question really seriously. But if we just jump in with an answer uh, in the first place, we might miss all of that. Um, our colleague Michael Ramsden, he often says the right answer to the wrong question is always wrong. Yeah, uh, right. And we make that mistake. I make that mistake all the time with dealing with questions like this. Yeah, that's so good. And I'm and actually, once you've got to that place, you can break it down in different ways, you know, because this question talks about Judaism and Buddhism. And actually, they're very different faith systems. Yes, so you're going to talk about those in, in different ways. But one thing to say here is actually you can then immediately get to the heart of, of that objection. If that's the concern behind it, then actually you can say you're absolutely right that Judaism did predate Christianity. But in fact, um, you know, the, the God of Christianity is the God of Judaism. You know, as Christians, we don't think Christianity came out of nowhere. Right. Jesus was Jewish <laughs> and, and the people he first came to save were the Jews. And so as Christians, we say, hey, the, the history of the Jews 
news. There's the history of, of Christianity and and we share that same history. And we believe God was a speaking God long before Christ came. Christ is the fullest revelation of who God is. But God was infinitely concerned about the world from way back. Um, and we see the story of his faithfulness. That's the story of the Old Testament. It's the story of a God constantly reaching out to make himself known, always with that long-term vision of, of wanting the Jews not just to know him themselves, but, but they were called to be a blessing to all the nations. It was always an outward-facing, outward-focused desire um, to see salvation come all, all the way to the ends of the earth, as it says in the book of Isaiah. So, you know, as Christians, we're, you know, we're not dismissing Judaism, far from it. But yeah. what we're saying is actually um, the, the very ultimate hopes of Judaism, everything that they were wrapped up in that hope for a salvation, for a Messiah, for God to come and, and rescue the fulfillment of covenant, that all those things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. The, the history of Christianity goes back to Adam and Eve. Yeah. So there there was never a point before Christianity where there were people on this earth that God didn't care about revealing himself to. In fact, his revelation to them was very intimate. Yeah. They heard from him directly. They walked with him in the garden. Uh, and, and secondly, he never stopped revealing himself. Although there is a progression to that revelation over time, God was in the cloud leading the Israelites in a cloud. And then uh, they received the Ten Commandments. Uh, he's in a geographic area. He, he's in a city. He's in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. Uh, he speaks through the prophets. Then in the fullest of revelations, he comes in the person of Jesus. And then through the Holy Spirit, he comes actually into one's heart. There's this progression of intimacy and of the revelation of knowledge throughout time as God is communicating to his people and beyond. And I was thinking about that this morning in light of uh, the fact that Joe and I are uh, awaiting our first child. That's good parenting. You know, that's just good parenting. If parents tried to teach an infant everything they know from the very beginning— Right, not much of it's going to get in there. You know, you're just going to confuse a young child. I'll and just take one thing. Honestly. One thing, Michael will take, and he'll be happy. Exactly. And if you just tried to teach everything at once, when the child wasn't in a place where they could receive and understand that, you actually wouldn't wind up teaching the child anything. Right. You'd just overwhelm mm-hmm. them. And so that's exactly how a good parenting works. And so we shouldn't be surprised if we see that's exactly how the narrative of Christianity. Uh, works as well. And, you know, there's always going to be questions around why this time, why then, as soon as you're talking about Jesus, because, because of course, the act of incarnation is a historical event. And that's an incredible thing that God did for so many different reasons. But of course, if God comes as a person in history, that does require coming at one time. And so there are always going to be people who say, well, why didn't he come earlier? Or why didn't he come later? You know, we always have those kind of questions. But but in response to that, I say, well, look at the legacy of Christianity. Look at the world today and how many Christians there are. It's hard, uh, based on that evidence, to, to not think God knew what he was doing in terms of time and in terms of how this message would be spread and who it would reach. I, I love this quote from H.G. Wells, the, the author who wrote, I'm an, I'm an historian, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very centre of history. Jesus Christ is even easily the most dominant figure in all history. And I think that just, that just stands true. Jesus just stands out above every other historical figure. So whatever God did, whatever his reasons for that time, it clearly worked. And he came at a time where uh, Roman roads and the Greek language made the world 
connected in right. a way that it never had been before. So uh, do we know all of God's reasons? No, of course. But even when you just look at it through the light of natural reason, with Roman roads and a Greek language, a God who wanted to bring the fullness of a message at a time where it could be dispersed throughout the entire world, that would be a time to do so. And again, when you think about the parents, you know, they reveal things, they communicate, they pass on knowledge progressively. And then eventually when the child becomes an adult, you then move beyond just being a parent and also become a friend, right? That's what you hope. You hope that as the child becomes an adult, you remain the parent, you remain the father or the mother, and you also become a friend. And that's just what we see through the Christian narrative as well, that when Jesus comes in that fullest of revelation, he says, now I call you friends. So this actually brings us to the final question. It says, Jesus and Muhammad, who brings salvation? Well, I appreciate just as a starting point that, you know, the question assumes that it can't be both. Mm -hmm. And I just find that refreshing because I meet so many people who want to be positive towards religion, but say, well, I think all the major religions are basically the same. And you just cannot hold that claim if you actually dig into them at all below the surface. You know, Ravi always says that maybe at best they have superficial similarities, but fundamentally they are very, very different. So I appreciate that that's uh, understood in the question itself. Absolutely, because actually the irony is when people say that they're trying not to be offensive, but you just offend everyone. Like you couldn't be more patronizing really about saying you guys you know you think you know what you believe but you just don't you just don't know what you're talking about you you're all just so confused but let me tell you as an outsider that really you're all the same you know it just it it kills me um but but what I love about this question is it's getting right to the heart as well of of what is the point you know of it all because we can compare all sorts of different facets of religions but at the end of the day this is the crux right this is the ultimate question um who brings salvation and what what I, what I actually find intriguing about this question is I, I actually think only one of them ever claimed to bring salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, sometimes when it comes to religion, we're, we're assuming everyone's working towards the same goals. Not necessarily true. Um, so, for example, you know, what is it? What does it Muhammad actually teaches? Well, well, when, you know, when Muhammad comes, what he says he's doing is he's passing on the teachings given to him by the angel Gabriel, the words of God, the Quran not his own, he sees himself as a messenger. But Muhammad is never actually claiming that he's going to save anybody. And nor does he claim that he's necessarily bringing a message that if you just follow it, you will have salvation. Right. Instead, he, you know, he's bringing a set of teachings, a way of life, where he says, you know, if you, if you follow these teachings, if you do good, then hopefully you'll do enough good to be saved. But there's no guarantee there. There's no promise. And I, I, I may have read this before, like over a year ago, but I think this, this, um, anonymous quote is actually says it so well um, setting us uh, alongside the different religions says Buddha never claimed to be God Moses never claimed to be Jehovah Mahabin never claimed to be Allah yet Jesus Christ claimed to be the true and living God Buddha simply said I am a teacher in search of the truth Jesus said I am the truth Confucius said I never claimed to be holy Jesus said who convicts me of sin Muhammad said unless God throws his cloak of mercy over me I have no hope Jesus said, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. So actually, there's there's a real honesty to Muhammad in the way he's speaking. He says he too needs saving. Mm-hmm. He too is someone in need of saving and he needs God to have mercy on him. Jesus makes the radical, audacious claim that not only does he not need saving, but he's the only one who can save everybody else. It's a radical contrast. And that's precisely why, right? If you are in need of saving, if you're hanging off a cliff... 
you can't save Anyone someone else. who's hanging off a cliff. You need to be on stable ground, not in need of saving, in order to be able to save someone else. Muhammad can't do that. Jesus can. And I think the other question we have to ask uh, to answer this question is, what is salvation? Right? We need to know what salvation is in order to say, can Jesus or Muhammad provide that or someone else? And again, as, as Joe's alluded to, we get different answers in different major worldviews. You know, in Buddhism, the goal is in some sense for our desires to cease, uh, for us not to have the desires anymore, which could cause us pain and, and suffering. In Islam, the goal is to achieve a paradise, a paradisal state where our carnal desires are fulfilled. But our carnal desires wine, sex, perpetual virgins. It doesn't appear that there's much in it for the women. Uh, A paradise of carnal pleasures, you know, sometimes we can be attracted to that. But I want to say, haven't we tried that? You know, I think many of us have tried that. We've tried to pursue the carnal pleasures. We've found the carnal pleasures in various ways. And the reality is that we've had to say, that's not fulfilling. That's not fulfilling in a long-term way. You wake up the next morning and say, I don't have peace. It's just made me more anxious. It's made me feel more alone uh, and have less intimacy in my life. So I, I don't think that's the way forward. In Christianity, I believe the goal is for our deepest desires to be fulfilled. For example, the desire to be fully known and fully loved. I mean, that's just so many different ways you could talk about what it is that the Christian God has for us. But that's one way to talk about it. And I think that's amazing to be fully known and, and fully loved. That's a beautiful picture of of salvation and one that in our human context, we tend to see as impossible. Mm-hmm. A conference that we had recently, uh, somebody was making a point around this and asked if there were any volunteers, throw your hand up if you'd like uh, we really want to know you. We want to know you fully. So throw your hand up if you'd like us to put on the big screen here everything that you've thought and done throughout your entire <laughs> life. Well, really, we want to know you. We want to know you. That sounds good, right? Well, no one put their hand up, uh, unsurprisingly. Why? Because we believe that if we're fully known, there's no way we could be fully loved. Yeah. So I think we tend to go for the opposite. We tend to go for fully loved, even if not fully known. So we go on Facebook, we go on Instagram, we put a picture of ourselves out there that's not actually a true picture, but we hope is going to inspire love out of other people. So we're not fully known, but at least there's some semblance of a thin form of love. I think Jesus can bring a true salvation because only he knows us in full and loves us in full. When you read through the Quran, there are a lot of people that the Quran says that Allah hates, and it's clear that his love is conditional. He loves people who are obedient to him, who believe in him, but not everyone. That's very different from the Bible saying, for God loved the whole world. He for so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, or saying that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. The Quran says that those who are sinners explicitly states are not loved by God. And here's the Bible explicitly stating that it's while we were sinners that Christ died for us. So you have in Jesus, the only person who is saying, even though I know you in full, I still love you in full. And that's why I can bring salvation. Which is so refreshing because it's a hard teaching to be told, you know, here's the way to live. I'm laying it out for you. Now now go, go and do it. Um, survival of the fittest, every man for himself. Um, off you go. Um, and, and, you know, in some ways it plays into our cultural efforts to be self-sufficient. You know, we all have a lot of bravado. I feel like one of the phrases I hear most often in the morning is, I've got this, we've got this, you know, yeah. but we do not have this. Like we just don't have it. <laughs> and, um, 
I, I've always loved um, my favourite song by Queen was um, The Show Must Go On. You know, and Freddie Mercury does this brutal line where he's like, inside my heart is breaking, my makeup may be flaking, but my smile stays on. And I just feel like that is how so many of us live with this, this faking it. Um, yeah. But deep down, we just know, we know we haven't got it um, and that we're never going to get it. And, and, you know, and what happens to the person who's lived a life where they've gone off the rails and they, they have that moment at the end where they want to be different, but but there's no time to do enough good works to make up for the life they've lived. You know, there's no hope, as Vince already talked about, of that hanging on a cross as a convicted criminal, last minute repentance. Like you can't, there's nothing left. There's no time to earn anything. Um, and and I think the disciples had this 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 moment with Jesus where they clocked this, where Jesus, you know, encounters a rich young ruler who says, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus tells him and he goes off sad because he thinks he can't do enough. And, and the disciples are shocked, you know, because they just think, well, if even someone like that can't be saved, who then can be saved? You know, yeah. if he if he can't do it, we definitely can't. What hope do we have? And then Jesus looks at them and says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that's the difference here. It's So who brings salvation? Um Man can't bring salvation. You know, I, I feel like most of the movies we're seeing at the moment with these strong, independent women, and, and often the message there is, I don't need a man to save me. I will save myself. I agree with half that statement. You know, um, I don't think a man can save you, but I don't think we can save ourselves either. You know, with man, it is impossible, but only with God are all things possible. Only God can save you. And, and so if Jesus and Muhammad, who's claiming to be God? Well, guys, we are out of time. Vince, sum it up for us. Well, it's very interesting that uh, in Islam, another human person took Jesus's place on the cross. The idea of an appointed prophet of God dying in the place of sinners is unthinkable, yeah. right? It had to be human persons themselves that would bear the burden for their sins. Did someone take Jesus's place on the cross or did Jesus take our place on the cross. That is really the question. And it's a question between unconditional love and conditional love. And I think in Islam, you quite clearly have a conditional love. A conditional love will never be strong enough to give your life for someone else to make that sort of sacrifice, which alone can bring salvation. And in the Christian faith alone, and I think it's the most significant uniqueness of the Christian faith, you have true unconditional love. And that's why in the person of Jesus, we can be saved. Vince, Joe, thank you guys for joining me. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you guys next time. To find out more about our ministry or to donate, visit our website at rzim.org. If you're listening in Canada, that website is rzim.ca.